Who is Jesus? And what do you say? What do you say about this guy? And obviously, there are a lot of people in this world who have a lot to say about Jesus. A lot of people think he's an extraordinary person. A lot of people think that he made an incredible impact on this planet, and they're all correct. As you heard in that little video clip, there were also people who believe he was a great, uh, he was a miracle worker and a prophet. Muslims believe that. Others teach that he was a, a, a great teacher, and the Mormons teach that. Still others believe he was a holy man. Hindus believe that. But seriously, who is this Jesus from this place called Nazareth? Thankfully, God's word gives us a glimpse into the person and the life of Jesus that answers all of those questions and points us to the truths of God's son. And as you know, today is Ash Wednesday, and we're starting this season called Lent. And throughout this season, as George pointed out, we're going to look at those truths. All right, we're going to, we're going to dig deeper into who Jesus is and why, why we can believe without a shadow of a doubt that he really is the Savior of the world. To kick things off, though, I'd like you to look at this. Y'all see this? Everybody see this? What is this? Go ahead and tell me. It's a manger. Yeah, you guys can talk in church. It's okay. It's a manger. Now, this is a manger. It's a feeding trough. It's Lent. When do you normally see mangers in churches? What time of the year? Tell me. Christmas. Thank you. See, it's one bitch better. So Christmas is a time when you normally see a manger. Now, the reason why I have this up here is because I want you to understand something. It was in one of these things that the world got its first glimpse of Jesus. So kind of just think about Christmas, warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Nice, nice holiday, give lots of presents. So think about that. Think about the, the Christmas carols that we sing, like Silent Night, right? All is calm, all is bright. I, I, I share that with you because I guarantee that when Jesus was born, life was far from that for him. In fact, if you could sum up Jesus' life in one word, it would be this. It would be controversy. From the moment that Jesus was born and placed in a manger, this feeding trough, throughout all of his days, his life was far from calm and bright. In fact, right off the bat, in Luke chapter 1, it says that Jesus was born in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Okay, we all know who he is, or most of you know who he is. When the wise men came to King Herod, uh, and they came looking, as it says in Matthew 2, verse 2, looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews, Herod, I'm sure, blew a gasket. In his mind, the answer to the question, who is Jesus, was, he's competition, right? He's a threat. Herod was not about to have anybody move into his territory. And when the wise men did not return to Herod and tell him where Jesus was located, it goes on in Matthew 2, this time verse 16, it says, Herod gave the order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under. So no, it did not take long for Jesus and his identity to create quite a stir. In fact, it, honestly, the, uh, the, 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 um, the, that kind of controversy followed Jesus throughout his life. 
Everywhere he went, people had strong reactions about him. Some people were drawn to him, drawn closer to him, which makes sense, right? No one taught like him. No one cared for the poor and the oppressed like him. No one treated women with dignity and respect like him. So that makes sense. But equally, there were people who were deeply offended by him, who saw his actions as unacceptable, ungodly, and yes, deserving death. But why? I mean, what was it about this Jesus that caused so much debate? What was it about this baby that was put in a feeding trough, who, by the way, never had a high school diploma or a college degree, who never left more than 200 miles from where he was born, never traveled any further than that, who never held public office, never wrote a book, who lived only a short 33 years of life on this earth. How is it that someone like that can ultimately turn the world upside down? And maybe some of you, well, maybe most of you sitting here right now, or those of you watching me online right now, maybe most of you are already settled on this issue. And if that's the case, great. But maybe some of you sitting here or watching online, maybe you're not so sure. Or maybe you know somebody in your family or in your circle of friends or in your neighborhood Maybe you know somebody at work or at school that isn't so sure. And again, that's where this is going to be so much fun, I think, where we are going to answer this question, who is Jesus? Okay, we're going to dig deeper into who he is. And throughout this season of Lent, we're going to look at different aspects of Jesus. And today, I want to begin by looking at his controversial identity. I want to look at, in other words, what it is about Jesus that makes people, that that, that creates so much debate. And one of the things about Jesus that stirs up a lot of controversy, did then and still does to this day, is the idea that he is fully man and fully God. Now understand something. This does not mean that he was part man and part God, that he was sometimes God and I'm sometimes man and other times God. Doesn't mean that. Means that he was totally, completely, and always man, totally, completely, and always God. He was both. Before Jesus was born and laid in and placed in a manger, Gabriel appeared to Mary and he says this. Look at this. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And then just a couple verses later, verse 35, he says this. The baby to be born to you will be, say the last word, holy. And of course, only God is holy. So again, before Jesus is even born and put in a feeding trough, the Bible clearly identifies him not just as a human being, but as God, right? God. And while there are people who refuse to believe that truth, they just will not accept it. There are millions of others around the world who by the Spirit's power accept that faith, I'm sorry, accept that claim in faith. And they have found forgiveness and cleansing and love in Jesus. 
And as a result, they worship him boldly. They follow him courageously. They gladly proclaim him to be God in the person of Jesus Christ. But there is a second identity that causes quite a stir as well. Second part of Jesus and who he was that creates a lot of controversy. And it's the whole fact that Jesus came for a specific purpose. Once again, looking at an angel, this time on that first Christmas Eve, the angel is speaking to the shepherds who are watching their flocks by night, right on the, the, the field, the, out on the hillside. And the angel announces this in Luke 2. Do not be afraid. I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Those two words, Christ, I'm sorry, Savior and Christ, those two words are key words that explain why Jesus came. First word is the word Savior. That word sums up that Jesus is the one, the only one, by which you, me, and all people around the world can be forgiven of our sin. Jesus came to this earth, right? He was born in a manger or placed in a manger. And then he uh, died on a cross and he paid the penalty for your sin, my sin, everybody's sin so that we could be forgiven. So in a nutshell, that word savior should ring all kinds of bells and whistles in your mind because that name identifies Jesus as the only way to be forgiven. And that's what causes controversy today. Because today there are people, well, he's not the only way. There are, he's one of many ways. Nope. As Jesus says in, in John 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm it. Second key word is the word Christ. Christ is a title. It wasn't Jesus' last name. It's a Greek word, and it means the same thing as the Hebrew word Messiah. Christ and Messiah both mean anointed one. Okay, every good Jew back then knew that those words, Christ Messiah, referred to the great deliverer who had been promised by God. Here's where the Jews got it wrong. They were looking, of course, for a political deliverer. So Jesus stirred up more controversy when he announced that he was a different kind of deliverer, specifically a deliverer from death. Jesus is the promised one who had come from God to bring, to offer life after death. That's amazing. That's huge. More importantly, it's good news, isn't it? Because all of us die, right? So it's good news when we hear Jesus say things like in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, or John 3, 16, very familiar words. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Say it, eternal life, right? So Jesus' identity of being true God and true man, okay, in one, as well as the one and only way by which you, me, and all people are forgiven and saved, those two identities cause a lot of debate, they created a lot of controversy, and not just back then, but even today, it still does. But how do we know that what Jesus said about himself, true God, true man, only Savior of the world, how do we know that that's true? I mean, just walk with me for a little bit. What if, he, what, if what he said was false? What if, he was, what if it was false? 
what then would you have to say about this carpenter from Nazareth? Well, as rational human beings, you would have two logical explanations. If what Jesus said about himself was false, you had two logical explanations. First one is that Jesus was just outright lying. Right? He was just fibbing, <laughs> spreading the tr- spreading, stretching the truth. Right? And that happens. Everybody lies. But that doesn't make sense because that means that Jesus spent his entire ministry spreading falsehoods and false claims and lies everywhere he went. And that doesn't add up to, at least for me, for two reasons. First, it would contradict his moral integrity. And historians across the board agree that Jesus and his life and his teachings were incredibly ethical, so much so that his enemies could not argue against anything Jesus had to say. So in my mind, that just says, well, you know, why then would Jesus, if he's known for being a person of integrity, right, for his ethical teaching, why would he, why would he go around lying about who he was everywhere he went? I mean, why would he do that? A second reason, though, that we, I think, can say that Jesus wasn't lying about his identity was because liars don't knowingly endure severe pain and death. We know Jesus was arrested. We know Jesus was mocked. We also know Jesus was beaten to a pulp. And he was. And I don't know about you, but if, in my mind, if somebody is lying about who they are, I'm thinking about like the ninth or the 10th lash of the whip or about the time they're gonna have those nails driven through their hands and their feet. They're gonna say, oh, just kidding, right? Just made it up, gotcha, pulling your chain. See, that's why torture works. Pain as a way of flushing out information and yet, Jesus endured incredible, unspeakable torture and pain. He was even offered on multiple occasions opportunities to recant, to take it back. But he stood firm. So to me, it just doesn't make sense that Jesus would be a premeditated liar and face all of that pain and torture doesn't make sense. But if Jesus then isn't a liar, the only other logical explanation, if Jesus, what he said isn't true, is is that he was crazy, right? He was confused. He only thought he was God, right? He only thought that he was the, the, the savior of the world. And again, that happens. People think that something is true and they're wrong. For example, I read about a guy who had bought a brand new Mercedes, drove it off the lot at the dealer, drove it into his apartment complex and into his garage stall, which was a series of long, it's just this long row of garage stalls. Opened up the garage door, pulled his car in, closed the garage door, went into his home, his apartment, got, a, you know, got some lunch, did some work. And then later on, he went back out so as to drive his brand new car. Opened up the garage door, the car was gone. He just bought it a couple hours earlier. It was awful. Called the police, couldn't find it anywhere. It was reported stolen. Uh, Later on, the insurance gave him money. He was able to buy a brand new Mercedes. A couple weeks after that, 
His neighbors in that apartment complex, he was watching their cats and watering their plants. Uh, they were traveling around for a couple of months. They came back and uh, they opened up their garage stall, which is right next to his, and inside was his car. He had grabbed the wrong remote. He opened up the wrong garage. But that's why when he came back out and, you know, and opened up his garage stall, it was, it was empty, right? How silly, right? And yet he truly believed his car was stolen. He was not lying to the police when he said, somebody took my car. He actually thought it had been stolen, but he was wrong. So here's where I'm going with this. What if, just what if Jesus was wrong? right? What if, you know, he thought he was true God and true man. He thought he was the only savior by which people can be forgiven and saved. And he was just confused. It happens. And yet every psychological expert who has dug deep into the record of Jesus' life will tell you and has announced that Jesus is the picture of emotional, psychological, and relational health. He's not crazy. He's not confused. So if that's true, if what Jesus says about himself as true God, true man, savior of the world, if he's not lying about it and he's not all confused and crazy about it, then there's only other one option left. And it's that what Jesus said is true, right? He really is who he claims to be. He is true God and true man. He is the only way by which you, me, and all people are forgiven and saved. And if that's the case, then you would expect, wouldn't you? You would expect some evidence, right? Some exceptional behavior from Jesus that would back up these claims. For example, you would expect that Jesus would lead a perfect life. And if he's God, he claims to be God, then he's going to live a perfect life. If I walked around and started claiming to you, I'm God, it would not be hard for you to debunk that claim, right? You would find joy. It would be easy to do, right? You could just, oh, he's already nuts. He's nuts. And you would be right. But if you look at the Bible, if you look at the record, if you look at all the history, you'll see that Jesus led a perfect life. In fact, after he was arrested in Matthew 26, it says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. And they looked. They couldn't find a single mistake or fault or imperfection. They spent three years looking. So yeah, Jesus led a perfect life, which is in, of course, complete contrast to any other religious leader of any other religious movement on this planet. I've studied these guys. I've looked at Muhammad's life. I've looked at Buddha's life. He was a real guy. Life of Gandhi, life of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. I've looked at these guys. You read their stories. They're not angels. They've got a bunch of faults and shortcomings and mistakes and failures. But you look as closely as you want at the life of Jesus, you won't find a single spot or stain. You won't. Second, you would also expect Jesus to perform miracles. Again, things that only God could do, right? Well, and this is where it gets interesting. Secular historians, okay, so non-Christian, they have no religious affiliation at all. Secular historians clearly re, you know, affirm and, and refer to the miracles and the power of Jesus. Secular historians talk about his miracles and his power. And back then, it was obvious to everybody 
It was obvious. It was so obvious that Jesus had supernatural power under his control. In Luke 19, it says, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Third, if Jesus really was saying what he was saying about himself was true, then you would expect him to conquer death. Again, only God can do that. You would expect him not only to bring dead people back to life, but you would expect that he would bring himself back to life. Uh Uh-huh. And guess what on Easter we're going to do? We're going to look at the evidence that supports that claim, that provides for us the cornerstone of our Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, Christmas, it's a wonderful holiday. I love Christmas. I love everything about it. Again, warm fuzzies just everywhere. But I'll tell you right now, this would not have meant a thing if it had not been for the empty tomb. Just another baby put in a feeding trough, whatever. But because Jesus is alive, but because he has risen from the grave, we know without a doubt, he is God. And people saw him alive too. It wasn't just this little group. Hundreds of people, look at this, 1 Corinthians 15. He was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. What? So yeah, his sinless life, his supernatural power, his glorious resurrection all confirm his identity. Jesus is who he claims to be. And now you know. He is true God and true man. He is the one and only savior of this world. And no other religious leader can even touch that. So let me just challenge all of you for this remainder of the week. Let me challenge you. I know some of you, again, may have got this down. You may know this. Um, Others of you may kind of been like, I don't know. But now after hearing some of this evidence, you're like, okay, all right, good. Yeah, so now what? Well, for those of you who are kind of wondering the now what, let me offer two next steps. Step number one, admit your sinfulness before God. Say, God, I have shut you out of my life. I have. I've been shutting you out. I have been resisting the work of your spirit in my life. I have denied you. I've ignored you. I've rebelled against you. Please forgive me. Okay? Admit your sinfulness and that you need a savior. Second, trust Jesus as your savior. Trust that Jesus came, he died on the cross, and as a gift of God's grace, you are forgiven and have eternal life. That's pretty cool. Jesus died to pay for every single thing you've ever done wrong. And he rose from the grave to conquer the power of death over you. Trust Jesus as your savior. Now, for the rest of you who are sitting here and you're feeling really secure about, you know, knowing who Jesus is and, 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 you, and you not only understand why, but you know how to, to share that information because that's, that's key. It's one thing to know it, okay? Um, but over these weeks of, of Lent, we're going to talk about why, you know, why we believe what we believe and how you can share that information. For those of you who are, are settled on this, let me, let me close with this challenge. It's actually a question. Let me preface it with this verse from John 6. After this, many of Jesus' disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. So based on that verse, let me ask you this question. How many of you, how closely are you following Jesus right now? And if truth be told, would you have to admit that you've kind of drifted And maybe it's because of the pandemic. I don't know. Maybe it's because of something else. But you've drifted. You're not as close as you used to be, truth be told. 
Like those disciples from John 6, you've kind of drawn back. You've kind of fallen away. And if that's the case, then here's what I'd like to do. Let me challenge you to take those first two steps that I shared just a moment ago, confess it, and then trust in God's grace and his blessing. The blessing that is yours, the blessing that is available to everybody who believes that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. Okay, that's something we can celebrate. His identity for us is not controversial. It is a done deal. He is true God and true man. And he is the one and only one through whom all people are forgiven and saved. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for coming to this earth and for making a sacrifice that that none of us could make on our own. But you did it. You did it so that we could be forgiven and saved. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I pray that in the coming weeks, you would bless this series and all who come, that when we think about what you have done for us, we will respond with hearts filled with gratitude and praise. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your holy and great name and all God's people said, amen, amen.